Peter was a disciple of the Lord Jesus. And he knew what discipleship was all about. And that's what we'll talk about today. He knew how to be a disciple. And he also knew how to make disciples. And that's what we're finding in these words of 2 Peter 1. He is discipling this group of people that he wrote this letter to. This being the second one that he wrote to this group of believers. So let me read for us these words, the first chapter of 2 Peter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were witnesses, eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. As to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So Peter is saying we saw... Jesus, all that He was and all that He did with our eyes. We were also eyewitnesses of God the Father testifying as to who He is. But we also have the prophetic scriptures, those that come from the New Testament that might have been written by this time, not many, but those especially in the Old Testament. Some from the New Testament is the gospel. And that's another verse that I want us to spend most of our time on today. And it has directly to do with discipleship. And that's from John 8, 31, where Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. Now again, Last week we had said that we would devote the next two, perhaps three weeks to a study about discipleship. And so we are then continuing today. Though as I began to search these scriptures and also began to listen to some of the foremost preachers and commentators and to learn their thoughts on this subject of discipleship, I realized that the study may go a bit further than just a week or so. And while I'm confessing, I would also like to mention that parts of this study about discipleship will be taken in large part from a message that was given by John Piper. I sometimes feel uncomfortable about borrowing from other Bible teachers, especially word for word, as I'll do with some of this message today. But I've come to realize, folks, that I cannot say some of these words any more clearly than, as in this case, has John Piper. He has said them more clearly than I could ever say them. And so I'll just go ahead and borrow some of his words. And also, may I remind us as we begin to study about true discipleship, because that's what you and I need to be about this very moment and every moment of our life. That there is a constant battle 
for the truth of what we are supposed to be as disciples. And that was one of the things that Peter was warning about, and it's one that we devoted a message to recently there in verse 16 where he said, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths. And I mentioned in that message that these cleverly devised myths, though we may not understand them to be that, that is why there are so many different churches out there today. Within 50 miles of us right now, there are probably hundreds of churches Why are there hundreds of churches? Why don't we just go to the same church? Some might say, well, the distance. We don't want to travel the distance. Some of y'all drive right by several churches to get here. It's because we like what that church does. They have, perhaps, some cleverly devised myths that make us feel attracted to being there with them. Now, maybe that's not so. Maybe it's just the fellowship. But let me assure you that cleverly devised myths are the reason why many of our denominations are separated out from others and why churches are formed every day and people move from one church to the other. You and I need not follow after cleverly devised myths. We need to pursue after real discipleship And that's about Christ and Him personally. And not what we happen to like about what that preacher says or those fellow parishioners. You and I need to recognize biblical truth and demand it for our own souls. And not settle for anything less. A thought as we begin. As I've studied through this matter of discipleship, I've found that just as with most all of the elements of our relationship with Christ, there is both a being part and a doing part. A being part and a doing part. Jesus wants you and me to both be his disciple and also to do that which we should do as disciples, to go about our daily lives doing the good and the kind works of Christ. And then also a third element He wants us to then make disciples of others. And that's what the Apostle Peter was doing with these folks that he wrote these letters to. He was making disciples of others. Now while the being and the doing, those two elements often get all intertwined, it's essential that you and I place importance upon each of those separately. To be intentional on being a disciple and doing those things then that disciples do. Why do I say that? Too often, and I have said this before and I apologize for repeating, but too often we'll have altar calls. People will come forward. They'll rep- they will pray to receive Christ. And immediately the preacher says, now get up and make disciples. And let me assure you that there's not one in a thousand that just pray to receive Christ that know anything that they ought to be saying to those other people. And so they go out there and they repeat words that they know nothing about. You need to know who Christ is. And you need to know what to teach about Him before you go out there and start witnessing. Now, that may not sound right to you. And I'm not saying go take six months or a year. I'm simply saying... When you witness Christ, you better know who you're witnessing. 
When you're saying things about Christ, you better know what those things are. And where do you get those things? Where do you get that information from? From these scriptures, the words that are in our text. We are, It says, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention. Listen, to you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. You and I need to immediately get up from praying to receive Christ and immediately begin then to understand what we're to say to the next person that we come across. And it is that quick, but we better know what we're going to say. Now, the verse that John Piper based his message on and which I'm talking about here today is John 8.31 where Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. A simple verse. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? How do you know if you're a disciple of Christ? We're going to talk about it today and next week because that's our pursuit. You truly are my disciples. And I want us to know what it means to truly be a disciple of the Lord Jesus and what it will take for us to, to comprehend the intent of of being a disciple for our own lives. As we study the words of this verse, we find that there are five questions that arise out of this one verse that will help us to understand what it means for us to be a disciple. Let me tell you what those five things are. The first is simply, what is a true disciple of Jesus? He said, you are truly my disciple. What is a true disciple? You need to know that. I need to know what a true disciple is for myself and for you. The second is, what is Jesus referring to when he gives the phrase, my word, if you abide in my word? What does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, if you abide in my word? What does it mean to abide in Christ's word? Next what does it mean to, ab- to abide? What does abide mean? And then the lastly, what is the relationship between abiding in the Word and truly being His disciple? What does that mean? Lord willing, I hope for us to cover that over the next couple of weeks. But again, those words. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in Him, If you abide in My Word, you are truly My disciples. I want you all to go out of here today knowing at least some of what it means to be a disciple. Now you may say, oh, I already know what it's like to be a disciple of Christ. May I convince you that I don't know myself. And so I need this research. Although I've been a believer now for 40 years. And I want to know more about what it means to be a disciple of Christ. One of the things that this phrase, truly my disciple, implies is simply that there are disciples who really are not disciples. Now that doesn't sound exactly right, but it's true. There are disciples that are not true disciples. The word truly means really. Really my disciples. In other words, there are real disciples and there are unreal disciples. There are genuine disciples And then there are only pretenders. 
And most of the time those pretenders don't even know it. But they are outward disciples. But the real discipleship, and you can see it in people, it goes all the way down to the bone. They are not pretenders. They really want who Christ is in their life. But it goes even further than that. And that's this difficulty that's taking place in the church bodies today. Because this world is not divided into just two groups of disciples of Jesus. Those who are not His disciples and those who are truly His disciples. Looking around you, you can know that there's more accurately three groups. First, there are unbelievers, unbelieving people who make no pretense of following Christ. So you know that they are not disciples. They're easy to recognize by their conduct, by their words. They deny Christ. But then next, and this is the one that we struggle with in the churches, there are people who say they follow Christ and they have some of the semblance of being disciples. You can be in the church. You can do all of the things that the rest of the church people do. Remember a verse this guy says to Jesus, says, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do all these wonderful things in your name? But Jesus said, to him, depart from me. I never knew you. They really thought they were a believer. But they only had this surface connection with him. And folks, there are a lot of those sitting in churches every Sunday. A lot of folks. Then thirdly, there are believing people who do follow Jesus and they are true disciples and you can see them by their works. Now I want to stretch this just a little bit further because Jesus brought this point to us that not all belief is real. You read in the parable of the soils that one of those groups of people, they believed for a while. We don't know how to handle that expression, but it's true. They believed for a while, but they fell away. And Jesus implies that distinction here in these words. And it can be a disturbing thought to us because it can even cause us to question, are we one of those? Are we one of those? And he brought it up because the verse just before this, verse 31, verse 30, it says that he was saying these things and many believed in him. Many believed in him. There was a great response to his message that day. Much like you can imagine as Billy Graham would preach this sermon at a crusade and you just have these thousands of people coming forward. There was a great response. The problem is Jesus understood it also that where there's a great response to anything, some of those who are listening can believe for a moment. They get caught up in the emotion of the moment. They get caught up in the emotion of their own condition, but it's only for a moment. And then everybody is getting up, and so they get carried along by the crowd. If your friends go forward, then it's easier for you to go ahead and get up and go forward, even if you wouldn't have gone forward on your own. You follow the crowd. We saw that take place so often at French camp. 
with the kids. Emotion and following the crowd. But then a short time later, we'd watch as they would fall away. Jesus did not assume, and he applies that or implies that here in these words. He didn't assume that all who responded had real belief. And again, as I said a moment ago, that needs to be understood at any altar call or at any Billy Graham crusade. They may really want to believe. And at the moment, they might believe a little bit. But for some reason, their faith is not really real. I know I don't understand that. But Billy Graham has often spoken about it. I've mentioned it to us in the church here. He has said that probably not more than about half of those people that come forward really have given their hearts to Christ. They want to. They're caught up in the moment. But when they're tested, they back off. Now Jesus gives us a test in Scripture that will help us to know whether or not our faith is real. And that's where you have to start. Is your faith real? But this verse is also given so that if our faith is not real or it's not what it needs to be, that it will provoke even more for us to do. It's, and the verse is in John twenty thirty one. He said, these words, now this is the gospel, all of the gospel. These words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? He says, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. God has given us this gospel. So you come forward and you give your life to Christ. The first thing you need to do is go back to this gospel. Start learning about Him because it was written so that you can know whether or not you are in the faith. But not only that, as you sit in the pews, as you read these Gospels, it can awaken faith that should be at another level. Let me assure each one of us that we are one of the three that I just spoke about. We are in one of those three. We are either those who are rejecting Christ, we are those who are somewhere caught in the middle thinking that perhaps we're okay and mostly pretending or we're true disciples. And God wants us to know which one of those we are. And so He gives us this word. So what is then a true disciple? What does Jesus mean there in verse 31? You are truly my disciples. See, He doesn't separate out a disciple from the word believer or from the word Christian. If we are a true disciple, we are a Christian, a true believer. Those meanings should not be separated out in our minds. And you see, that's some of those cleverly devised myths that we mentioned earlier that separate out truth from what really should be. It's a common misconception that a person first becomes a Christian And then they move on later to being a disciple. But that's never what Jesus says. A true disciple is not a second stage that you and I move to in the Christian life. First a believer and then we'll work our way up to being a disciple. Jesus never said that. 
The moment you receive Him as your Savior, the moment you believe in Him, Jesus says, you are my disciples. The moment that you first profess belief, you are His disciple. He doesn't say, if you abide in me, you will become my disciple. I want to pause and just rehearse for us again. Now we know all of this, but we need to say it again because the gospel must always be given in every message. That's for the benefit of not only us who are true believers, but for people who might still be caught on the fence. So we need to rehearse this gospel in every message. If we're a true believer, a Christian, that means that we have been forgiven of our sins, that we know that we're a sinner, and we know that we need a Savior, that we can't save ourselves, that we can't do anything to save ourselves. And we're not just wannabes who walk down an aisle. We really want to be saved. And we know that Jesus is the only one who can save us. No one else. Our forgiveness and our redemption then is very, very real. It's not something that becomes later on. It's from the very beginning that we receive Christ. And in John 3.36 we read, Whoever believes in the Son has has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. From the moment that you bow your knee and accept Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. You don't get it later. You get it that moment. That's what it means to be a disciple, to be saved from sin. Now, we're running short of time, but I'm going to quickly cover this second point. The next question that arises is, what is Jesus speaking about in using the phrase, my word? If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciple. What is his word? Now, the difficult part is to look at this word and understand that it's in the singular form. If you abide in my word, not in my words, but in my word. And what this means is that Jesus is speaking of a sum total of all that He is first. All that He is. Not just all that He said, which that is true, but the sum total of all that He is and all that He said and all that He ever taught. But it's a sum total of all of that. And I confess that I do not understand this well, but I do know that it's true, and I have no doubt that it refers back to John chapter 1, where Jesus himself says, I am the Word. In the beginning, he says there in John chapter 1, was the Word, singular. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us as we have seen His glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now may I confess to you that that is odd wording. I don't understand it. But I do know that it's true. Jesus Himself is the Word. He is the speaking voice 
of God. He is the speaking voice of God the Trinity. And with that speaking voice, He spoke everything in existence into existence. Everything that was made was made by Him, by Him speaking it into existence, His Word. And His speaking voice, it says in Psalm 19, I believe, that speaking voice goes out into all the earth, all of the heavens. It continually goes out declaring the glory of God. This is the language that is higher than my understanding. But I do believe it's true that Jesus is the Word. He's not only what He says, He actually is the Word. He went on to say, I am the bread of life. He is the bread of life. What does that mean? He is that which you and I need to consume in some way, whatever that means, to have life. He said, I am the light of the world. Everything else is darkness. Every other thought that you think, every other thought that's said on our television programs or in our conversations is darkness. But He is the light. And if you have discipleship with Him, if you are a true believer of, uh, in Him, if you are one with Him, suddenly the light then tells you what the truth is and what's being said. He said, I'm the good shepherd. He is taking care of you every moment of every day. He is the very essence of Psalm 103 that I read earlier. He said, I and the Father are one. I am in Him and He is in me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the sum total of all of those things. And so when we take all that we're saying here today, and again, I'm going to repeat some of this next week because I need it for myself. The one focus of discipleship, well, it's only on one and one only, and that's Jesus Himself. Now I'm going to stop here because we're already past time. But may I say to you, being a disciple is not about how you and I can pray to receive Christ and then become a better person, a better husband, a better wife, a better dad or a mom, or even about being a better Christian. That's not what discipleship is about. It does include that, all those things. But being a disciple of the Lord Jesus is about Him. It's all about Jesus and who He is and what He does, what He's about. And it's about you and me learning about Him because He truly is the sum total of everything that is worthwhile in all of life and all of eternity. And the disciple of Christ must have only one love. It's about Christ having only one love, one devotion, one consecration, one focus in life, and that's upon Christ and Him alone. Matthew eleven twenty eight, and we'll close. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Get up underneath this yoke with me and learn of me. Join me and you'll be my disciple. Let's pray.